chapter 15, and we are continuing uh, our study on uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly, looking at um, the kings of Israel and Judah. Uh, we know that some kings were good, only eight of them in the southern kingdom, uh, out of the 19 kings that uh, um, they had there, and none were good in the northern kingdom. Out of the 20 kings that ruled in the north, none of them were good. Uh, and we'll see uh, that some of them were absolutely downright uh, ugly in terms of their behavior. Just to give a little bit of a background as to where we are, um, David had ruled in um, uh, Jerusalem uh, in total for 40 years, seven years in Hebron, 33 years in Jerusalem. After David then was Solomon, and Solomon ruled for 40 years, and then his son, um, Rehoboam, took over the kingdom. Jeroboam was a servant of Solomon's, and Ahijah the prophet gave him a prophecy saying that God was going to take ten kingdoms away from uh, Solomon and give them to Jeroboam, uh, but God would keep one tribe uh, for David, his servant's sake. Um, so Rehoboam takes the throne. Jeroboam comes and says to Rehoboam, look, ease off on the taxes. Your father taxed the nation way too much. Go ease it on the people and the people will follow you. Rehoboam takes counsel from the younger element of his group, which said, if your father was tough, then you'd be even tougher. Um, if he used whips, um, then you use scorpion tails. You just go after them. And as a result of that, the kingdom split in two, which is why we have the southern kingdom of Judah, which is where um, Judah and Benjamin were. And you had the northern kingdom then of the other uh, ten tribes. Um, so Rehoboam was the first king of the southern kingdom. Jeroboam was the first king of the northern kingdom. Rehoboam ruled in Jerusalem for 17 years. Jeroboam ruled in Israel for 22 years. So after Rehoboam, he was a bad king. His son, uh, Abijah, this, if you remember, we saw that um, Solomon was the king of fools. He was a wise king, but he made foolish decisions. Rehoboam was the king of second best. Uh, he only ruled, he reigned for two years, um, but uh, he made countless mistakes, uh, ended up giving his second best to God and suffered for it. Um, he only reigned for two years. So Rehoboam and Abijah's reign overlapped Jeroboam's reign. The king we're going to look at today is Asa. Um, so he came to the throne in the 18th year of King Jeroboam. First Kings chapter 15, um, sorry, in the 20th year of Jeroboam, we're in, in verse 9 of chapter 15. It says, And in the 20th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel reigned Asa over Judah, and 40 and one years reigned he in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Micaiah, the daughter of Absalom. And Asa did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, as did David his father. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this day, for this time together, and for this opportunity to come around you a word. And Lord, we just praise you, speak to our hearts this morning, and help us uh, as we look at this study in, in the book of Kings and Chronicles, and as we look at the, the various kings, whether they were good, bad, or even ugly in terms of their behavior, we pray that you'd help us to learn from the mistakes uh, that those made when they went contrary to your word, and that you would help us to apply to our lives um, the, the elements uh, of these kings that uh, were a blessing and were an encouragement. 
and that we might apply this to our hearts and lives, that we might serve you and walk with you as we should. So, Father, I pray you speak to our hearts today. As we look at Easter, we see that his reign started off well, but in the last few years of his life, he made some mistakes, and I pray that you'd help us to realize that just because we have a good start, it doesn't mean that that will last for the remainder of our race. So help us to be diligent in our walk. Help us to be faithful in being obedient to your word. And help us to just trust you in all aspects of our lives. We pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So if you remember last week, Abijah um, was the man with two names, the king with two names, because in um, First Kings, he is called Abijam. But in Chronicles, he's called Abijah. Abijah, can you remember what Abba means in, in Ab? Father and Yah? God, Yahweh, personal name of God. So basically his name was, my father is Jehovah, my father is Yahweh. Uh, but he's called in 1 Kings 15, Abijam. God, uh, Ab, father, Yam was the Canaanite sea god. So he's basically saying, and it can either be referred to as my father is the sea or my father is the god of the sea. Um, so at some point, something happened in Abijah's life, whether it was during that two-year reign um, that he changed his alliance. Asa, his name literally means one who heals. Uh, and it's incredible how Israel, is, uh, Judah's first good king will bring a bit of healing to the land. And again, we're going to be referring to the north and the south Israel is the northern kingdom, Judah is the southern kingdom. So we kind of try and keep that in mind. When we start mentioning some of the towns, because um, we've already mentioned Bethel and Dan and, and Jerusalem and, uh, and Shechem, we're going to mention Samaria, we'll put it up on the map so you can see then where things are in relation to you know, where people were headed, okay? Um, so Asa is the first king, or uh, good king, of the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, and as we said earlier, eight of the 19 kings in the south were good kings, and four of them led great revivals. And Asa was one of them. He was the first king um, to do right in the eyes of the Lord. And Asa's life can be um, divided into three uh, divisions. The first division is peace and prosperity. It says that uh, uh, in, uh, and we're going to be jumping back and forth between 1 Kings 15 and 2 Chronicles um, 14 and 15. But in 2 Chronicles chapter 14 and verse 1, it says that the land had rest for uh, the first 10 years of his reign. It says in 2 Chronicles 14, one to Abijah slept with his fathers and they buried him in the city of David. And Asa, his son, reigned in his stead. In his days, the land was quiet 10 years. Here's the thing. Let me ask you this question. Was Abijah a good king or a bad king? A bad king. Was Asa a good king or a bad king? A good king. How is that possible that a good king can come from a wicked home? You know, here's the thing. We, we need to realize that we have such an incredible responsibility as parents to do what we can to raise our kids. But that doesn't always mean they're going to follow our example. You know, the, the Bible says that they are to be brought up in the nurture 
and the admonition of the Lord. And, and sometimes we can get kind of aggravated and say, oh, well, it's, it's the parents' fault, it's the parents' fault. But just because a child comes from a bad home, it doesn't mean that that has to be their future. And just because a child comes from a good home, it doesn't mean they're automatically going to follow in their parents' footsteps. Samuel's children are a prime example of that. You know, we don't kind of uh, get to hear much of Moses' kids in terms of, oh, as when Moses, why didn't, you know, why didn't his kids, kids take over? Or why was it Joshua was the one that took over the reins when Moses um, died? So just because a child comes from a bad home doesn't give that child the excuse to follow in the footsteps of their parents. Aesop is a prime example of that. Aesop is that which is right in the eyes of the Lord. But he could have turned around and said, well, my father was a waster, so, you know, that's what I'm going to do. You know, my father was a womanizer, my father was a gambler, my father was a drunk, my father was a drug addict, my father was... So why not just follow in his footsteps? That doesn't have to be the excuse. You know, we understand that we have a responsibility to lay the right foundation for our children. But if we do all we can and they take a different path like Samuel's children did, you, know, you look at, at David and Absalom. You know, if our kids take a different path, we've done all we can then. There's nothing else that we can do. And for the children who grow up in a difficult home, that doesn't mean that that has to be your future. Because God sees every single one, every single person is special in his eyes. So you were the master in that regard. If you were destiny, you don't have to follow in the sins of your father. Asa is an incredible example. He's the first king to do right in the eyes of the Lord. And his father uh, didn't do right in the eyes of the Lord. His grandfather didn't do right in the eyes of the Lord. And Asa could have just turned around and said, well, like father, like son. But that wasn't the case. You know, we don't understand why one child follows the parent's example and the other child doesn't. I can't explain why I turned out as good as I did and my brother is such a waste of time. <laughs> I can't explain that. But such is life. But why do some children reject the teaching of their parents? Why do some children think that they know it all? Why in some Christian homes when parents have done all they can for their kids, some accept and some reject? And you know, the, uh, the, the, the reasons for that will vary. But if we do all we can as parents, and we've done our part, we then have to just give the rest and, and, and give our kids over to the Lord. But we are just commanded and commissioned to bring our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, to teach them the way that they should go. And then when they're old, they won't depart from it. And we just hope and pray that every single seed that we've sown in their lives, if they've rejected it now, will one day come to fruition before they leave this world. Asa rejected the instructions of his father. And he rejected the instructions of his grandmother. I know the, the word here is mother, but we looked at this last week, didn't we, where it says um, that his mother, his mother's name was Maka, the daughter of Absalom. That's his grandmother. Um, that is um, Abijam's 
mother. So this is Asa's grandmother. And we see the wicked influence um, that she has. So Asa rejected um, these instructions uh, because he knew that idolatry uh, um, was, was wrong. Uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 14 kind of gives us a little bit more detail as to what is going on. Because during this time, um, Asa led the nation in a great revival. Uh, and it says in verse 3 of 2 Chronicles 14, he took away the altars of the strange gods and the high places, break down the image, cut down the groves, commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to do the law and the commandment. Also he took away out of all the cities of Judah the high places and the images and the, uh, and the kingdom was quiet before him. He also built up um, the cities, it says in verse 6, he built fenced cities in Judah. And this is great, because what he's doing here, in the 10 years of peace, he's actually preparing and fortifying and making sure that the future is protected. You see, what happens in our lives as Christians is we get to a point where we win a great battle or we win a great victory, and then we have a moment of peace in our lives, and we step back. We don't like kind of build up the fortifications ready for the devil's next wave. We kind of rest on our laurels and think, well, everything's okay. All Asa is doing is just in the time of peace. He's actually making preparations so that when war comes, he's already prepared and protected. Um, he builds these defenses, assembles an army of 580,000 men. In verse 8, out of Benjamin, uh, that bear shield and drew bows, there was 204,000. Uh, and uh, out of Judah, there was 300,000. Uh, so 580,000 men. But his reliance is not on the army. His reliance is on the arm of the Lord. Therefore he said in verse 7, And to Judah, let us build these cities and make about them walls and towers, gates and bars, while the land is yet before us, because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him, and he hath given us rest on every side. So they built and they prospered. That was the first thing he did. Sought the Lord. And as a result, was able to have rest and was able to build up the defenses that he needed. He recognized that it was God that gave the peace in the land, not the military might of the army, not the, uh, you know, the, 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 the commanding uh, officers uh, that, that he had in, in charge of the army's um, mind. It wasn't his tactics or anything like that. It was God that gave the victory. And it was a good thing that Asa was prepared because the Egyptian army attacked Zerah, the Ethiopian came in verse 9 uh, with a, a host of 1,000, 1,300 chariots uh, and came to Maresha. Um, Asa then went out against him and they set the battle in array. And look what Asa did in verse 11. And Asa cried unto the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing. Um, to, with thee to help, whether with many or with them that have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on thee. And in thy name we go against this multitude, O Lord. Thou art our God. Let not man prevail against thee. So the Lord smote the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. And Asa and the people uh, were with him, pursued them unto Gira. Uh, Asa just asking the Lord for help. 
And he's just saying, Lord, we, we can't do this on our own. We are outnumbered. We are outmanned. We are outgunned. We are absolutely in distress. But Lord, you can do it. You know, there are times in our lives, like we said last week, where we are outnumbered, outmanned, outgunned, and we feel like, I, I, I don't have the strength. No, we haven't got the strength. We can't do it. With man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. With God, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's the one that gives us the victory. He's the one that fights the battles on our behalf. He's the one that goes before us preparing the way. He's the one that is there to help in a time of need. There's no way uh, that Asa could defeat this vast army from, from Egypt. But God could. But here's the danger. After the victory is when the biggest battles start. Because after the time of victory, like I said earlier, we tend to take our foot off the pedal a bit. We kind of breathe a sigh of relief and we're like, oh, I'm glad that's over. I'm glad I've come through that valley. I'm glad I finally got to the mountaintop. I'm glad I finally uh, defeated this particular enemy. I'm glad I finally got rid of that particular sin. I'm glad I finally got the victory in this area of my life. And that's brilliant. And now I can just relax. No, that's the time you need to keep your guard up more than ever. Because after the victory is when the real battle starts. God sends Azariah a prophet to meet Asa. And he says in verse uh, 2 of chapter 15 of 2 Chronicles, he says, uh, Asa and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you. Why do you be with him? And here's one of those conditional promises again. If, if you seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Um, Azariah, gives a message of encouragement and of warning. Azariah's message to Asa is very similar to Ahijah. Ahijah was the prophet that spoke to Jeroboam uh, and said that he would be given the ten kingdoms, um, the ten tribes. And it's a very similar message. If you follow God, if you obey God's voice, if you are obedient to God's word, then you'll be blessed. This is nothing new. This is not some uh, new gospel. This is not some new revelation. This is nothing new. We can go all the way back to the children of Israel coming into the promised land when they went to the, the two mountains, the mountain of blessing and the mountain of cursing. And the whole point of that was, if, if you follow my voice, if you do this, then God will bless you. If you're obedient to my word, if you listen to my voice, if you follow my commands. You know, we think that God is just um, uh, some big bully who sits up in heaven saying, right, how can I suck all the fun out of their lives? I know you're not allowed to do this and you're not allowed to do that and you're not allowed to do this. You know, can't smile and you can't have fun in church and you can't do this in the world. And you... That's not how God acts. If there are any restrictions placed on our lives, it's not to harm us. It's to help us. You ever met the parents in the church? How many of you ever said this to your kids? Because I said so. You get to that stage when the kids are like, why? 
Why? Why? Why? Because I said so. You know, everything we do for our kids when they're growing up is not to hurt or harm them. It's to protect them. It's to help them. You know, we, we were told, you know, years ago, remember Parkway Fires? You know, we were, we were pretty much told, orange, that glow looks very inviting. And you were always told not to go near the fire. Why? Because you get burnt. But we can't help ourselves sometimes, can we? We're told not to do something. We can't help. Yeah, it is hot. Oh, yeah, your finger, your skin does stick to the glass. Uh, you know, and, and then kind of peel away. Um, I, I don't think that's right. But our parents do stuff like that to protect us. You know, when you're just about to run across the road and there's a car coming and they grab your hand and you're like, oh, that hurt, that wasn't fair, that wasn't nice, that wasn't very polite. No, because they just saved your life. They didn't have time to say, hey, come on, let's sit down and reason this out now. Let's consider the outcomes of you dashing across the road. And, you know, if you feel like that's something you want to do, maybe that's an avenue that we could explore later on in your life. And, you know, maybe if you feel oppressed because as a parent we're stopping you having all of this fun, uh, then maybe we can discuss... No, the pain just grabs you because they're like, don't run out, that's dangerous. And there's times God grabs our hand and says, Child, hold on to my hand because if you go in that direction, you are going to get hurt. This is nothing new. This is not new advice. This is not a new divine revelation from God. This is basics. If you obey my voice, God said to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, if you obey my voice, then you'll be blessed and we'll fellowship forever. Azariah just says to Asa, if you follow God, you'll be blessed. But if you turn your back on him, how can you expect God to bless your life, Asa, when you are living contrary to his word, to his will, to his ways? And here's the thing, church. We expect God to bless us regardless of how we live, regardless of how we act, regardless of how faithful we are to him, we still demand his blessing. Can I say this? We cannot expect God to answer all of our prayers when we can't even be bothered to turn up in church. We, we can't expect God to answer all of our prayers immediately if we're never in his word. We can't expect God to answer all of our prayers. We can't stand back and say, come on then, bless me. When the Lord says, why should I bless you? You've not, you've not even sought my faith. If, 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 That's exactly what was said to Asa. If, if you follow me, I will bless you. But if you forsake me, then I'll forsake you. You know, Azariah goes on, and we, we won't read it for the sake of time, but basically Azariah reviews the dark days of the judges when the nation didn't have a king, um, a godly priest, or anyone to enforce the law. And the people turned to idols, and then they were oppressed, and then they would give, be given a, 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 they would call out to God, and then God uh, would send them a deliverer. Whenever God's people cried out to God 
and turned their backs on the idols that they made, God always forgave them and defeated the enemy. Azariah is just saying to the king and to the people, don't get to that point of having to call out to the Lord again. Just seek him now. Continue to do just that. The greatest battle we face comes immediately after our victory. Asa had a period of peace and prosperity. But he also had a period in his life of reformation and renewal. Um, it says in, 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 let me ask you a question because it doesn't matter. Who, who's in First Kings in the Bible and who's in Two Chronicles? Who's in First Kings? Who's turned to Two Chronicles? Ah, oh, it's a 50-50 split. Um, okay, in First Kings 15, um, we see uh, that it says in, in verse 12 of First Kings 15, uh, that Asa took away the Sodomites out of the land, removed all the idols that his father had made, and also Machiah's mother, even her, he removed from being queen because she had made an idol in a grove, and Asa destroyed that idol and burned it by the brook uh, Kidron. Asa removes everything from the land that shouldn't have been there. Um, he gets rid of the Sodomites, the idols, he even gets rid of his own grandmother. Um, from the royal court. All of those were factors that led to corruption uh, in the land. And Asa recognized that reformation would start in his own family. Judgment begins in the house of the Lord. If our house is not right, then how can we stand up then and kind of proclaim God's word to people? Because that would then just make us hypocritical. Judgment begins at the house of the Lord. Judgment begins in our hearts first. You know, we can pray for revival to come to our community. We can pray for revival to come to our, our, our land, we, all we want. But revival has to come to us first before it can affect anything else. Asa removes the idols from the land. He, he removes that which... Uh, would cause somebody else to stumble. Asa's grandmother made an idol in a grove, and it was the image of a Asherah. Um, the term idol literally just means to shed up. Um, this was a, a horrible, repulsive image, suggesting a shocking, sexually explicit idol. You know, we live in a world today which is full of promiscuity and kind of anything goes and nothing is, is kind of left of the imagination anymore. And, you know, we, um, we see things going on sexually in this world um, which we think, what is happening? Uh, you know, um, Andrew gave testimony on Wednesday about some of the literally pornographic material that is being taught to our 10-year-olds in school. And we kind of look at that and think, where are we going? This is crazy. This is just getting out of control. But there's nothing new under the sun. You know, you go back to, to these times, and one of the biggest idols was sexuality. That was one of the biggest religions at this time, because the false idols that they worshipped were all sexual in nature. They, they had temple prostitutes. And um, so you, you can see kind of the wickedness in the land and the wickedness that we have in our land today is nothing new. Uh, and again, it's not caught the Lord by surprise. So Asa does all that he can 
uh, to remove uh, the idols from the land. Uh, and it says something interesting in, in 2 Chronicles 15 and verse 8. It says, and he renewed the altar of the Lord. He renewed the altar of the Lord. Now, this is in Asa's 15th year. Um, There we are. In verse, in verse 10, it says, So they gathered themselves together at Jerusalem in the third month, in the 15th year of the reign of Asa. So this um, altar has been in constant use for over 60 years. Don't forget now, Solomon built it. Solomon reigned for 40 years. And then we had 17 years of Abijah, two years of, uh, sorry, 17 years of Rehoboam, two years of Abijah, and then um, 15 years of Asa. So this altar has been in use for 60 years. And it has to be renewed. Now, this church has been here for 120 years. Um, We've had some work done on the inside. Um, It's had a touch of paint now, but other than that, you know, nothing else, really. New roof. Um... You know, everything else seems to be okay. 120 years. So you think 60 years, the altar uh, needed to be renewed. Now, in some Bible translations, it says repaired. Uh, but the, the, the Hebrew word is to renew. Um, so some argue that, oh, it was, in a, it was in a state of disarray. It was in a state... All Asa's doing here is rededicating the altar. He's not fixing it. He's literally rededicating it. That's what the word means to renew. It's one thing to remove the idols. It's one thing to remove the people who are influencing. Uh, It's one thing uh, to to do all of this. But Asa gathers everybody together at Jerusalem because he knows the biggest need in people's lives is to rededicate the people. And that's what he's calling for, a national revival. He gathers the people at Jerusalem to worship the Lord and to renew the covenant. Not only did the people of Judah and Benjamin attend, uh, but they also had some from uh, the the northern kingdom attend uh, as well. Uh, In verse 9 it says, They gathered all Judah and Benjamin and the strangers with them out of Ephraim and Manasseh, northern kingdom, and out of Simeon, northern kingdom, for they fell to them out of Israel in abundance. And when they saw that the Lord is God was with him. 2 Chronicles chapter 15 verses um, 8 and 9 talks about renewing the temple, uh, renewing the altar, and we see that the northern kingdom gathers together as well. Asa uh, knew that removing the idols uh, was just the start. Uh, The people had to renew their commitment to the Lord. You know, at significant times throughout Jewish history, we find the leaders and the people renewing their commitment to the Lord. That's a pretty good example for the church to follow today. Not talking about doing anything new. We're just talking about renewing a commitment. After the nation crossed the Jordan and entered into the land, they renewed their covenant with the Lord. When Joshua called a, a, a similar meeting at the end of his life, when he told the people to choose this day whom you follow, 
they renewed their commitment to the Lord. When Saul was named king, Samuel called for an assembly and a time of renewal. King Joash and King Josiah, uh, again, both led revivals in the southern kingdom, called for a renewal of the covenant between themselves and the people and of God. Spiritual revival doesn't mean asking God for something new. You know, we often think, oh, well, God's got to do a new thing in the world. No, he hasn't got to do a new thing. There just needs to be a renewal. A renewal of our devotion to the Lord. A renewal of our commitment to the Lord. Asa didn't ask for anything that God had not already promised to do. He led the people in rededicating uh, the covenant that God had already given them. Asa knew that that was the right way to go. And he led the nation in a time of reformation and renewal. Have you ever experienced a real revival in your life? You know, maybe things have been stale for a bit. Maybe there's things crept into your life that shouldn't be there. Maybe those idols have built themselves up in your life and you've worshipped something or put the, the, the preeminence on something more than you have on the Lord. And there becomes a staleness. It just needs to be a renewal. Say, right, okay, Lord, I know you haven't wandered away because you said you'd always be with me. You've not changed because the Bible says, I am the Lord, I change not. I'm the one that's wandered. And sometimes it just needs to be a renewal in our lives. Say, okay, Lord, I'm going to recommit myself to you. I'm going to rededicate myself to you. Whatever you want me to do, that's exactly what I'm going to do. We're not asking God to do anything new. We're just renewing our walk with him. But we can get excited when a mini revival comes in our lives. And maybe you've been in one of those services where you've been, oh, yes, I've got the victory, and oh, the Lord spoke to me in such a clear way, and I'm so excited, and I can't wait now to go out. Be careful. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. Just because you start well, it doesn't mean that you're always going to finish well. Because the last period in Asa's life was a time of deterioration and discipline. First Kings 15, I'm sorry we're, we're scooting back and forth, but 2 Chronicles just kind of fills in a bit more detail. But First Kings chapter 15 and verse 16. It says, and uh, there was war between Asa and Basha, king of Israel, all their days. And then in verse 18, Asa took all the silver and the gold that were left in the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and delivered them into the hand of his servants. And King Asa sent them to Ben-Hadad, the son of Tabrimon, the son of Hezion, king of Syria, that dwelt at Damascus. There was constant conflict between the two kingdoms. Now then, next week, we're going to look at Jeroboam's son. Um, but Basha came um, after um, Nadab. So we're going to look at that next week. But Asa reigned for 41 years. There's going to be a lot of kings coming and going in those 41 years of Asa. And we look at that next time.
But Baasha is one of those kings. Um, so there was war between Asa and Baasha all of uh, all of the days of um, uh, of Asa for the remainder of that reign. And there was constant conflict. You know, nothing has changed really. Because in our lives, we face a constant conflict every single day. If you think Asa is kind of the, the path of doing right and Basha is the path of doing wrong, we face that conflict every day. If you say that Asa, Asa is the, the worship of God and Basha is the worship of idols, that's a conflict that we face every single day. There are so many things vying for our attention to take our focus off the Lord every single day. If we say that uh, Asa is truth, whereas Basha is lies, we face that battle every single day. More so now with social media and fake news. We don't know what's true and what's not. It depends what media outlet you look at. If you watch one media channel that leans one particular direction, they'll say that everything's hunky-dory and this is all lies. And if you look at another media channel that leans another way, they'll tell you that all that's fabrication and and we don't know what's going on. We face the battle every single day between what is truth. But can I say this, that when Pilate asked that question, truth was stood right in front of him. We face the battle between what's true and what's false every day. But can I say this, guys, that when we come to that point, just focus on the one who is truth himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. If Asa is obedience to the word of God and Bashar is the rebellion to the word of God, we face that battle every single day. Nothing has changed. And just as those battles haven't changed, can I say this to you? Nothing has changed today. There is still a heaven that is very real and there is still a hell that is very real. There is still only one way to heaven and that's through Jesus Christ. There is still only one way to hell. And that is rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ. That reality hasn't changed. Fantasy says the grave is the end. That when you close your eyes in death, that's it. Annihilation. There's nothing there. You don't see anything. You don't feel anything. You don't go anywhere. If that's the case, what is the point of this life? Because this life, for, for a lot of people, is going to be very disappointing. If the grave is the end then this life is pointless and worthless and useless and disappointing. If the grave is the end, stop the world, I want to get off. But it's not the end. The grave is the beginning. And if you are here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, one day you will go to the grave. That is something you cannot outlive. You can't outrun death. You can't outlast life. One day it will come to an end. Depending on what you do with Christ will depend upon where you spend eternity. If you accept him as your saviour, the Bible says that you'll end up for a whole eternity in heaven. If you reject him, then you will spend an eternity in hell. But God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary. There's not a single person that God did not die for. You will never look in the eyes of somebody that God did not love. 
God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. That's why Christ died on the cross, to pay for sins once and for all, so that we could have a home in heaven. That is a reality. But fantasy says, live your own life. That's a battle we face every day. Live your own life. Do as you please. There's no consequences. If it feels good, just do it. But there are consequences, because when we get to stand before God, which we will, whether you believe in him or not, whether you think church is a load of nonsense or not, whether you think the Bible is just a fairy tale or not, makes no difference. One day you will stand before God and you'll give an account of your life. If you know Christ as your saviour, then you will just have to answer for the way in which you lived your life as a Christian and you receive rewards or rebukes as a result of that. If you reject Christ, you will stand before God and give an account of everything you did as a lost person. And depending then on how you live your life, that's when sins will be paid for. Fantasy says, don't worry about it. It feels good to you, just do it. Can I say this, that the more wicked the world gets, the worse the punishment will be when they stand before the Lord. Asa and Basha battled all the time, but Asa at the end of his life, and you think, how could you do that? You just made that incredible speech at the beginning of your reign. You, you had that peace for, for 10, 15 years, and um, you, know, you, you renewed the, the covenant between the, the people and God, and you got rid of the idols. And how, how then, at this point in your life, can you turn around and say, oh, I don't know what to do. Let's turn to Syria for help. Let's take all the treasuries from the temple. Let's take all the things sacrificed and sanctified to God, and we'll give them to Syria. And they can help us. It's incredible how Satan desires to prevent our spiritual growth by putting obstacles in our path. What an obstacle for Asa to face. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Satan wants us to stumble and fall, and will put any obstacle in our path he can. This one obstacle at the end of Asa's life caused him to stumble. He forgot about the power of God that delivered him from the army at the beginning of his reign. Asa puts his confidence in man, which the Bible tells us clearly not to do. You know, sometimes trials do come our way to help us grow in the Lord. To rely upon the Lord. In verse 20, and we've jumped down, verse 20, it says, Ben Hadad hearkened unto King Asa and sent the captains of the hosts which he had against the cities of Israel and smote Ejon and Dan and Abel, Beth, Machah, and all Sinaroth with all the land of Naphtali. And it came to pass when Basha heard it of that he left off building of Ramah and dwelled in Terza. Then King Asa made a proclamation throughout all Judah, and none was exempt. And they took away the stones of Ramah and the timber thereof, wherewith Basha had built, uh, and King Asa built them with them Geba of Benjamin and Mitzvah. 
Rama was basically going to be a Berlin-type wall to stop anybody else from the northern kingdom coming down into the southern kingdom. With Ben-Hadad's help, Rama was destroyed. But what Asa did here, he builds from the ruins of Rama. He takes that which was made to stop and ruin him and turns it into something positive. Your Rama may be sin, it may be failure, it may be a past mistake, and maybe that's stopping you from serving the Lord. Maybe that's stopping you doing anything good with your life because you think, I've messed up, I've made a mistake, God can't use me. There's who? Abraham was a liar. God used him. Jacob was a trickster. Uh, God used him. David was an adulterer and a murderer. God used him. Solomon was a womanizer. God used him to build a temple. God can use anybody. Don't let your past mistakes stop you from serving the Lord. Learn from your obstacles. Get back up when you fall. Don't flop at the finish line. Asa started well. He didn't finish as good as he started. But he was still a good king. He was still somebody that the Lord said he did right in the eyes of the Lord. And he led the nation in a period of revival. I don't know where you are in one of those areas of your life. But maybe that describes you right now. Maybe you're just coasting through life and you've got that peace and prosperity and you're thinking everything is great. Can I say this? Build the defenses because Satan will do all he can to make that not so peaceful and not so prosperous. Maybe you're in a period of your life of reformation and renewal. Maybe you've rededicated your life to the Lord and the Lord is blessing you in ways that you've never seen him blessed before. Don't get too overconfident. Take heed. Those who think they stand and end up falling. Maybe you're in a period of life of deterioration and discipline. Maybe you're not where you used to be. Maybe your love for the Lord has grown cold. Maybe you're not in church as much as you should be. Maybe you're not in the Word as much as you should be. Maybe you're not praying as often as you used to. Maybe you're not talking to others about the Lord as you used to. And maybe there's a period of deterioration in your life. Don't run from the Lord's discipline. Learn from the Lord's discipline. And turn your Rama, something that was going to be used as a stumbling block, and use it as a stepping stone. Because nobody has to stay in that period of deterioration in their walk with the Lord. There's so much that we learn from these kings. Let's learn from the mistakes they made so we don't make the same mistakes as them. Father, we thank you again for this day, for this time together, and for this privilege of coming around your precious word. And Father, I pray that you would help each and every one of us. Lord, maybe we've started well in our race, but we've stumbled because 
we've taken our eyes off the Lord or because we've allowed uh, sin to come into our lives that causes us to, uh, to, to trip over, as it were. But let us lay aside that uh, sin that does so easily beset us and let us keep our eyes fixed firmly upon the Lord Jesus Christ so we may run with patience the race that is set before us, that we may not fall at the finish line. Just because we start well, it doesn't mean that we finish well. Help us to keep our eyes focused upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to not celebrate too early before we reach the finish line, as it were, so that Satan doesn't get a foothold in our lives and affect our testimony for you. So Lord, would you help us in whatever period of our lives we find ourselves in now, whether it's in that peace and prosperity or in that reformation and renewal or whether it's in that deterioration and discipline. Help us to learn from each one of those periods that we may face, that we might follow you, that we might be obedient to you, that we might hear you a voice. Help us, Lord, we pray, to do what's right in our lives that would bring you the maximum glory, honor, and praise. We pray and ask these things in Christ's most wonderful and precious name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing our last hymn together. Thank you.